Well, good morning, church. Good to come together to worship the Lord in song and word once again this morning. And uh, hopefully you're going to join us for the potluck afterwards. We have a good time of fellowship and over in the gym. Mrs. Thompson, Mrs. Thompson, a Sunday school teacher, wanted to teach the children the basics of Christianity. And so she put together some uh, I believe statements, uh, a little kind of what we're doing right here as we go through the statement of faith, some I believe statements that, uh, that, you know, about their belief in God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and so on. On the day she tested their reciting of these belief statements, uh, the class was set up so that one student would give one section of it and then sit down, and the next child would stand up and give the next section of it, then sit down, and then the third child, etc., etc. Well, the first child stood up, a little boy, and said, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He got it right, and he sat down. Then a little girl stood up and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. She got it right and she sat down. Then and there was this long, awkward silence where nothing was being said at all. Finally, a little girl in the back of the room said, Mrs. Thompson, the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. <laughs> the one who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. And I thought to myself, I wonder... If that could be said of some Bible-believing evangelical churches, the ones who believe in the Holy Spirit are absent. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is and what He's supposed to do in your life? Or is that kind of absent from your brains? For some of you, even the mention of the Holy Spirit, and some people kind of get a little tense up and go, uh-oh, you're, you're one of those kind of churches? Right? You get all a little nervous. There are extremes that we can go to in our belief about the Holy Spirit, and I'm really not going to get into that. But I will say this, it is equally wrong, it is equally wrong to ignore or neglect or never talk about the Holy Spirit as it is to overemphasize His work and fall into sensationalism. And while the risk is there in one extreme for abuses in the name of the Holy Spirit, the risk is there on the other side of things to ignore the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. You see, it's necessary that we think correctly about the Holy Spirit while at the same time not neglecting His presence in our lives and all that we do. And our daily walk with the Lord and leading our families and our relationships with others and all our activities as a church, have we neglected, almost forgotten what is vital to our existence and to our witness? Is the light of the church in America flickering rather than burning brightly because we have forgotten our need for the movement of God's Spirit through all that we do? The late A.W. Tozer, writer and pastor, and, and I perhaps I very likely have shared this quote with you before, but it was very appropriate to this morning. He said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. 
I say, ouch. I don't know if he's right with this 95% thing. But is any percentage okay? And sadly, many who profess the name of Christ have little knowledge and very little experience with the Holy Spirit in their lives. Have you forgotten what it is that makes us relevant to an unbelieving world? Francis Chan, who wrote the book Forgotten God, from which I get my title this morning, but in that book, Forgotten God, he said this. He said, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives, now get this, we are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit real to you? What does that even look like? I mean, if you were to write out a statement as to what you believe about the Holy Spirit, would you, would you know what to write? And what would be some key aspects to be sure to include? Well, the next belief we're looking at today as we're working our way through Evangelical Free Church's statements of faith, uh, that today's is on the, uh, their statement on the Holy Spirit. And the FCA statement says this, we believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt he regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. Goes on. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Well, as we continue in our sermon series on True North, this statement right here is a must-have. It's an essential to what we believe. And as is the case with each of the statements, this is not to be an exercise in head knowledge alone, but something that invades our hearts and impacts our wills. Now, there are many scriptures we could look at to help us in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, but I felt it was best to return to John 14 again uh, that we looked at last week, John 14. We looked at the first part. We're going to continue in John 14 this morning. So I want us to listen to the words of Jesus and hear it straight from the lips of Jesus himself about the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, we see the second person of the Trinity introduce us to the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So I felt it's a great place for us to go. And so if you're not there, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and I want to reiterate a little of what I said last week in kind of setting the scene and the context for you from John 14. The disciples were rattled for a number of reasons, and perhaps the greatest matter that troubled them was that Jesus was leaving them. And so he comforted them, you might recall from last week, by telling them not to worry but keep on believing, John 14, 1. That a separation would only be temporary for he was going to prepare a place for them, verses 2 and 3 of John 14. That they had a future in heaven, which is our eternal home, with Jesus forever. I mean, comforting words, right? The place, the person. Something to look forward to. So when we're discouraged... When all seems lost, when life gets unmanageable and troubling, a view to what is ahead is the power to kind of steady our knees. 
But I want us to notice here, though, that Jesus doesn't stop there. I mean, does our help only come from what is in store for us in the future? When troubles and and trials and challenges come your way, a view to heaven is only part of the answer. There are resources available to help us on our journey home. And so as we look at this passage this morning in John 14, we'll be picking up verses 16 through 26 as our section this morning. But Jesus provides the disciples and us more reassurance. Look at verse 18, for example, chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's exactly what they were feeling. He's going to leave us as orphans. And he says, I will come to you. And by that, who's going to come to them? Well, he then talks about the Holy Spirit. That's how he's going to come to them in the Holy Spirit. You see, God has given us present help in our journey home. All right, here's the bottom line. It's not that profound, but it's quite straightforward this morning. But the bottom line from this section here is God has given us present help for our journey home. God has given us present help for our journey home. Because the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. We're getting to grab a hold of that. And who here doesn't need help in the Christian life? All right, the Holy Spirit's a divine person who helps us. John chapter 14, I'm going to answer three questions. Who's the Holy Spirit? What does he do? And how can we receive what the Holy Spirit gives? Who's the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And how can we receive what he gives? This this isn't going to be purely academics here. I hope very practical to our lives. All right, who's the Holy Spirit? Now, some of this might be basic, but I feel it's a, 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 a path we need to travel. Who's the Holy Spirit? First of all, I want us to see that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Follow along with me, John 14, uh, verse 16. 14, 16, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, you'll notice something here as I share these verses. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All right, let your eyes go over to John 15, verse 26. John 15, 26, we'll see this here. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, if I, go I will send him to you. Beginning of verse 8. When he comes... Beginning in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. You see it? It's pretty obvious. Jesus doesn't say it will come, it will guide you, but he will. He. Jesus uses personal pronouns here. He and him, not it. The Holy Spirit is not some force or some energy or some power. It's not may the force be with you. It's not what it is. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. And we can see this, and I'm not going to exhaust this, but we can see that the Holy Spirit has certain personality traits. He teaches. Jesus says down in 14, 26, elsewhere it says the Holy Spirit, he will testify, personality trait. He will convict. He will speak. He will tell. Holy Spirit has personality traits of emotions. 
Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. He can be insulted or outraged, I think it's Hebrews 10. He can be lied to, Acts 5. He, can, he, he loves, Romans 15, you can check out the, the references. And so, so to be accurate here, we should not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, but he. Does it matter? I mean, I'm just kind of just splitting hairs there, Pastor. I mean, he, it. What difference does it make? Well, next week, we're going to talk about uh, being filled with the Spirit and uh, what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, but it's right here in the filling of the Spirit that being precise and having a correct understanding of the Holy Spirit plays itself out in our lives. We need to understand this correctly because if we think of the Holy Spirit as some impersonal force, and listen, we will approach the filling of the Spirit in some mechanical way. In some Christian circles, you might hear teachers and believers say things like, we need more of the power. And if you just pray these phrases or you pray this way, or you repent of these things, then that power is available to you. I mean, you just push the right buttons to get more of it in your life. And by it, they mean the power. So tempted to go kind of on a rabbit trail here. I might save that for next week. (laughs) But this is where some Christians are misguided. The Holy Spirit is not some passive power that we can harness for our own purposes. We're not called, we're not, we're not called to seek miracles just by repeating the right things, praying the right prayer, as if we can put in some coin, pull the lever, out comes a miracle. No, seek the person of the Holy Spirit. That's our fixed reference point. It's important. All right, secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit, again, I'm not going to exhaust this, um, but in in sticking with Jesus' words here, it's worth noting that Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit in verse 16. I want us to see this, a phrase there, another counselor. And we'll look at counselor in a moment, but I want to zero on the word another. There are two words in the Greek language, the original language for another that Jesus could choose from. There's the word that means another of a different kind, and there's the word that means another of the same kind. Jesus chose the word alos, A-L-L-O-S, meaning another of the same kind, meaning the same kind as Jesus. So Jesus is saying to them and us, the Holy Spirit would be as I am to you. That's loaded, really. But I want us to see one aspect of that. We have already seen in in previous weeks, um, uh, as we looked at the person of Jesus and his work, the claims that Jesus made on several occasions that he was equal with God. So to speak of another of the same kind, I believe, strongly suggests that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, but a divine person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. All right, what difference does it make? What difference does it make that I see the Holy Spirit as a person and I see the Holy Spirit as God? 
Because if you don't understand who he is, you will underappreciate what he does. All right, what does he do? Second question. Okay, go to verse 16. So your eyes still, still should be there. We've already seen it, the phrase, another counselor. We looked at another. I want to look at the word counselor. Counselor. And as many of you probably know, the word translated counselor there is, is, is the word paraclete or parakletos in the original. And the NIV chose to give uh, the meaning counselor. Some translations have chosen the word a comforter or helper. Knox's translation puts another friend for you. But it literally means the one called alongside. The one called alongside. It's to have someone alongside of you to help you. The Kari language of equatorial Africa proved to be difficult for the translators of the New Testament. They just couldn't find words for their language, especially when it came to the word paraclete. They didn't know how to describe the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. Well, one day, the translators, they're standing around, and they, they came across some of these porters going off into the bush carrying bundles on their heads like this. They were carrying bundles on their heads. And they noticed, these translators noticed, that in this line of porters, there was always one who didn't carry anything. And they kind of assumed, well, he must be the boss. He's there just to make sure everybody's doing what they need to do. However, they discovered that what, that wasn't the case at all. He wasn't the boss. He had a very special job, this one guy who wasn't carrying anything. He was there should anyone fall over with exhaustion. He would then come along, pick up the man's load, and carry it for him. And the porter was known in the carry language as the one who falls down beside us. Huh. Translation said, I think we have our word for paraclete. The one who falls down beside us. And what a great principle, picture of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us in our helplessness, in our, when we are the weakest, when we just fall down. We, we can't figure we can go on. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. He picks us up and he carries us. He carries the load. Is there something for you that's too difficult to carry right now? You came into the room with it. Are you about to fall over in exhaustion? You just can't do it anymore. You have a helper comes alongside of us, lifts us up, carries it. You know, there's something else I want us to see here, though, with the word paraclete, and it really kind of came into view for me this past week as I was listening to some other sermons around this. And I want us to see this. A few weeks ago, when we were looking at what we, what we believe about Jesus, I spent a few minutes talking about Jesus as our advocate our advocate, you might recall that, that Jesus was one who pleads our case, not based on anything good in us. See, if we were to plead our own case, we'd be found guilty with nothing else to say. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus pleads for justice because of what he did for us. And Jesus, our advocate in heaven, stands before the judge in heaven. He says, yeah, 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 Pastor Brian has sinned. I have paid for it. It's a beautiful picture. We have an advocate in heaven. But, but you know what? We have an advocate here on earth. You have someone who stands in your place and makes a case for you here internally. 
Well, what does that look like? What is the practical significance of the Holy Spirit as our advocate here on earth? Well, one passage, and you can check it out later, the bigger section, but in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 16, but read all the verses around it some other time. But in Romans 8, 16, it says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, meaning our inner being, that we are God's children. He bears witness. He is the star witness is what it means. You know what that's that's getting at? Holy Spirit is our advocate. That when you have doubts about your salvation, the Holy Spirit who lives in you reminds you that you are God's child. When internally you're crippled with fear, the Holy Spirit's role is helpers to remind you of the truth of God's presence in your life. When you feel abandoned or knocked down, the Holy Spirit helps you. He will argue with you internally. Because we say, I don't think I'm a Christian. No, he says, you're God's child. You've been adopted into God's family. You're his workmanship. You're complete in Christ, he'll remind us. It's the Holy Spirit who brings to our remembrance the promises of God's word just when we need them. There are vast provisions and promises the Holy Spirit wants us to know. And so the Holy Spirit brings to your mind the truth you need, little or much. He'll give you the assurance that you need. John Piper, in speaking of what the Holy Spirit does in the hour of trial, and so he says hour, he means trial or temptation. He said this, all the forces of darkness will seek to confuse and obscure the light of truth in that hour. All the proportions of power in this world will appear to make God look distant, small, ineffective, like nothing. That's the goal of Satan and sin, to make God look useless and worthless. He goes on. The work of the Holy Spirit in that hour of temptation, hour of trial, hour of struggle, the work of the Spirit of truth is to what? Rest upon you with whatever measure of truth you'll need in order to be faithful. And I go, do I believe that? Not because Piper said it, because it bears witness in Scripture that that is true. Notice with me verse 17 of John 14. says the Holy Spirit is called what? Spirit of truth. In 1613, Jesus adds this, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth pertains to all you need to know about Christ. You see, the spirit's task is to make us aware of all that Jesus is so we grow to trust him to be all of that to us. He is the spirit of truth. And as the spirit of truth, he will help you to confront the lies that you're telling yourself or lies from the outside. And, and, and he was involved, the Holy Spirit was involved in the written writing down of Scripture. Now listen, that is why it's impossible, impossible for the Holy Spirit to lead you to anything that is contrary to what is written down here. He will never bypass Scripture or go beyond Scripture, but as the Spirit of truth, he will all take us through Scripture, always. If he doesn't, suspect. That is why, if we're being pulled in a direction that will cause us spiritual harm, he will do a divine intervention. 
And he'll say internally to us, you, you felt this, you know this, stop doing that. Wake up. This is going to harm you. You don't want to ignore that. I've regretted when I have. See, the Holy Spirit is so for you that when you start to get off track, he will be against you (laughs) in order to pound into you truth that sets you straight. Can you recognize the Spirit's work in your life? Now listen, here's one way we can discern if it's of the Holy Spirit or not. And again, I'm not going to go on side roads here, though temptation is there. But we need to ask this question. Is this of the Holy Spirit? We need to ask the question, does this glorify and exalt Christ? Because he talks about that in John 14. Read it yourself. The Holy Spirit will always point to what Christ has done for you. He will not point to himself. And some of the things that go on out there sometimes, it's all about, look at the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Look at the Holy Spirit who's glorifying Jesus Christ. Get back there. If it doesn't, suspect. Any work of the Holy Spirit in a ministry of a person's life should not draw attention to the Spirit but to Jesus. All right, Jesus is our advocate in heaven. The Holy Spirit's our advocate on earth. What else do we need? Now, I've shared with you before, I think, this illustration of a time when I was in grade school. It's not, you know, very glamorous of me in sharing all this, but I was dealing with a school bully, this school bully. And for a season of my life, it seemed like forever. But every day after school, this bully would follow me home, harass me, and at times pick this fight with me. One day, as my friend and I were leaving from watching a high school football game, we were walking down the street and the sidewalk. I turned around and I saw this bully stalking me as I headed home. Rolling around my head were were several options. (laughs) Do I run through this yard to my right? Am I going to fight back? Maybe I should just play dead. I was desperate. And sure enough, his evil presence caught up to me, and soon he was in my face, ready to punch my lights out. And just as he grabbed me, a stranger in a car pulled over and yelled to this bully to leave me alone. (laughs) And in a flash, this bully was gone. I was relieved. Some help arrived. But then this thought occurred to me. (laughs) What am I going to do tomorrow? (laughs) can I take this stranger with me to school? Can I take him with me every place I go? If he could be with me tomorrow and the next day and the next? The Holy Spirit, it says, will be with you forever. He's not going anywhere, ever. He is a permanent helper. And as the enemy stalks around us, making his evil presence felt, help has come, permanent helper. As tomorrow we face the bullies of sin and maybe feel ambushed by a sudden temptation and struggle with feeling overpowered by the enemy, help has come, a permanent helper. And I like that stranger that showed up for me that one day, the Holy Spirit shows up each and every day. He is with us forever. All right, how can we receive What the Holy Spirit gives, question number three. We're going to get practical if we haven't already. How can we receive what the Holy Spirit gives? Well, look at verse 17 of John 14 with me. It says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, 
for he lives with you and will be in you. If you put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, it says the Holy Spirit indwells you. And the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Now, indwelling is different than the filling of the Spirit. Like I said, we're going to look at that filling next Sunday. But the Holy Spirit indwells you, believer. Now, admittedly, I'll be honest, I cannot get my mind around this reality that God's presence is somewhere in my body. I mean, it's a mystery, right? I don't think I'm alone in that. Well, how do we receive what he gives? First of all, this is how we receive what he gives. An awareness of his personal presence. We prayed that earlier. We sang that earlier. Have an awareness of his presence. When we think of him as a person, then knowing his presence is with us and in us will affect our behavior. Right? I mean, just imagine if you lived with an awareness of the person of the Holy Spirit living permanently, permanently in the walls of your life. When my, when my son was in a, a very dark time in his life, he was advised uh, to carry around with him a physical picture of his youngest sister, who at that time, I'm going to guess, was around six or seven years old. You see, uh, my son adored, he adored his little sister. And so to have a picture of her, to take out and look at that picture and think about her when he wanted to do something impulsive and what it might do to her just kept him from doing the worst thing imaginable. The presence of the picture would affect his behavior. In the same way, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He goes where we go. He sees what we see. A picture a picture in our minds of his presence imprinted on our minds likely would affect our behavior every single day. As I'm about to say something, that person who cut me off, Holy Spirit is right there. <laughs> Might change what I say. How aware are you? How aware am I during the day of his presence? And, and there, there are things that you may be doing right now that you wouldn't do if you're aware of his presence. He's a person, not at it, a person that can be grieved. So God, the Holy Spirit living in us, wants to give you what you need to live for him. How do we receive what he gives? By living each day with awareness of his presence living in us. But secondly, an awareness with how much we need him. Do you call on him? Do you ask the Holy Spirit for his help? Are you trusting in the Holy Spirit to come through for you? Or are you just kind of surviving by your own strength and what you can muster up? Do we face the issues of life in troubling circumstances the same way people without the Spirit of God? And if it's true that the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us, are we asking for his help or are we just trying to go at it alone? I confess to you, I try and go at it alone way too much. And it is exhausting. The owner of a local hardware store sold a farmer this chainsaw. It's not a great illustration, but it gets the point. And he says to this farmer, this chainsaw is guaranteed to cut down five big oak trees in an hour. Farmer was quite impressed with that. He bought the chainsaw, he went home, and he put it to immediate use. Well, the next day, 
the farmer stormed back through the front door of the hardware store, dropped the chainsaw, chainsaw on the counter, demanding his money back. He said, there's something wrong with this chainsaw. This saw cannot cut down five big oak trees in an hour. It took me all day just to cut down three trees. This puzzled the store owner, so he stepped outside with the, of the store, the farmer with a chainsaw in hand, and the store owner pulled the cord on the chainsaw and fired up this steel-toothed beast, and the farmer jumped back wide open and said, what's that noise? <laughs> you got it. Some of you around two today will go, ah, I get it. <laughs> how foolish, how foolish for someone to try to cut down trees with a chainsaw without starting it up. And yet, how foolish we are as Christians, we try to live for Christ in our own strength. We get frustrated, spiritually exhausted, and we try to work things out on our own terms and according to our own schedule. Because listen, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll be faced with a choice. Depend on yourself or live as you were made to live, dependent on him. When you're faced with that challenge, you have a choice to make. Try to control your own life or surrender that control in desperation for God the Spirit to show up and make a difference. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you live out God's agenda, his priorities. How do we seek the Holy Spirit? Real quickly here. One, it's the, it, it's spirit, since he's the spirit of truth, we, med, we need to meditate on the spirit-inspired scriptures. Secondly, how do we seek the Holy Spirit? By walking in obedience to what we know and what we believe. I didn't get into it this morning in this passage, though. You'll see it if you read it for yourself later on. There's a reoccurring theme that I really didn't touch on. I'm just going to mention it briefly. But in, in verse 15 of John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will Obey what I command. In verse 21, Jesus says again, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Obedience is central to Jesus' teaching here. We can't miss it. There is a direct link of obedience to the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life. You can get all worked up of what the Holy Spirit's doing, but if you're not obeying, you got to question whether that's really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus and, 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 and what is written in the Spirit-inspired scriptures, and he drives them home to your life. And we make these words part of our lives, and we obey them. Jesus says, we make our home with him. If the triune God makes his home in us, shouldn't we be radically different? I mean, let's be honest. Shouldn't we be radically different? And I ask, am I radically different? Not in the weird sense, but am I radically different? Do others look at your life and look at my life and know that you couldn't be doing it by your own power and ability? See, the truth is, we can... In our churches and as individuals, we can do a lot, even without a conscious choice to depend on the Holy Spirit. That's the scary part. But for what? Don't you want people to look at your life and know that the only explanation is God? John Stott was leading a university outreach in Sydney, Australia many years ago. 
The day before the final meeting, Stott received word that his father had passed away, and so he's filled with grief. But in addition to his grief, John Stott was also starting to lose his voice just before he was about to speak. And he describes his final day of the outreach as about to speak. He says, it was already late afternoon within a few hours of the final meeting, so I didn't feel I could back away at that time. So I went to the hall and I asked the few students first to gather around me and, 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 and read 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And that student read and, and then they prayed for me that these verses might be true in my own experiences. I went out to this lecture hall and, and spoke. He said, I preached on the broad and narrow ways from Matthew 7. He said, I had to get within a half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. I couldn't exert my personality. I just felt terrible. I croaked the gospel in monotone. And then when the time came to give the invitation, there was this immediate response, larger than any other meeting during this event, as students just came flocking forward. And he says... I've been back to Australia about 10 times since that day, and on every occasion, somebody comes up to me and says, do you remember that final meeting in the University of the Great Hall? I sure do, I reply. And they say, well, I was saved that night. Over and over again, he heard that. I was saved that night. And Stark concludes this. He says, the Holy Spirit takes our human words spoken in great weakness and frailty, and he carries them home with power to the mind, the heart, and the conscience, and the will of the hearers in such a way that they see and believe. What's our takeaway from that? Ask the Spirit of God would do things in your life that others know it is not of you, that it doesn't even make sense from a world's perspective. I mean, how badly... How desperately do you need and want his help right now? Let's pray. God, thank you for not leaving us alone, but giving us the spirit who works in our lives on a daily basis when we allow him to. Whatever is convicting about this and ways in which we have left you out, forgotten you, tried to do things in our own power and strength and ability, I pray, God, you just speak and argue with our internal being and say, stop doing this. Instead, rely on me. If you are a great comforter, you're a helper, you're a keeper. And we cry out to you and say we have hopelessly lost our way and we're totally weak. You show up and you do amazing thing in our lives and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.